What's up, what's up, y'all? This is Dave. And this is Devin. And you're listening to the Dave and Dev Podcast. Dave and Dev. Gotta keep it real like Dave and Dev. On my job like Dave and Dev. Tell no lie like Dave and Dev. Some days I wanna stay in bed, but I get ready for the day ahead. I wanna complain, but I pray instead. Then I'm on my way to the Dave and Dev. And it go like, I don't need a crew. Don't play by he say, she say rules. Don't play, no, we can't do. I'd rather have faith while G-O-D make moves. So please stay cool. All, all I do is speak the truth on things I see they do. I'm a sinner myself. No lie, I need grace too. We lit like EKU. Yeah. What's up? Good morning, Devin. Yo, what's going on, Dave? How's it going, man? It's good, man. It's good. Saturday, uh, what, May 30th at this point? May 29th? It's May 30th. Sure, you know. It is May 30th. This is, it's so crazy out here. This just uh, been a wild couple of weeks, right? Yeah, yeah, and which kind of leads into today's topic. Uh, I don't, I don't like... Uh, when we when we have to when we always we have to address these issues like it I mean I, I I pray that there's a day that we don't have to have a podcast episode reviewing the, this issue. I agree. Well, before we get into it, man, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Sin Wood. Dave and Dev podcast is sponsored by Ascend Wood. Ascend Wood is sharing the gospel and God's word through their apparel and bracelets. A portion of every item helps fund their ministry partner in Haiti. For more information, you can go to their website at ascendwood.com or you can find them on social media at Ascend Wood. All right, man. So as you said, you know, this is a this is a podcast that uh, we don't necessarily want to have to have. Um, but if you've been rocking with us since the beginning, if you know myself and Devon, uh, you know that this is actually probably part of the reason we started the podcast um, was not just our spark, our talks about sports, which is kind of our lane. It's it's what we both know really well, um, but we have a really big heart uh, for uh, the oppressed. Um, we have a big heart for. Just navigating these issues of culture. Uh, that's why when you look at at our uh, podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen, it says Dave and Dev Sports and Culture from a Biblical Worldview. Um, and, and we're talking culture today. So, um, Devin, I, I want you to kind of just introduce like the what we're thinking through today on the podcast. and, and Yeah, so recently there has been, if you've paid attention to any news, you know that there's been the death of Ahmaud Arbery, which was a uh, a black man that was uh, in his neighborhood. He was checking out houses, and then uh, um, two white two white guys stopped him, uh, wanted to do a citizen's arrest, and uh, and they shot him. Uh, he was he was unarmed, and they they shot him in broad daylight. And then another issue that happened was in Louisville. Uh, Breonna Taylor uh, was 
sleeping in her home when police officers did a no-knock warrant, uh, warned, a no-knock arrest is what they call it. And they just opened up her door and they fired shots into the house. Uh, Her boyfriend uh, shot back and uh, the police were, they weren't in uniform. Uh, They just broke in the house and then they ended up shooting her several times. And the most recent issue that has kind of sparked um, what we see in the news now is George Floyd um, in Minnesota was arrested and uh, while he was in handcuffs, uh, he he died in, in, in the possession of the officers, um, which... Uh, led to this protest in amongst the around the around the country in several different major cities um rioting is happening and so which leads us to our conversation today absolutely so um you know first and foremost like we want everyone that's listening to this podcast if if you don't know um anything about Dave and Dev you you have to understand the dynamic that we that we have um i'm i'm dave obviously and um i'm half puerto rican and half white um devon's black so like we just have it's like an interesting mix of culture that we already kind of bring to the table and so um i say that just because i think a lot of people would be um i've heard a lot of podcasts that are approaching this and it's you know, from a really mostly white perspective or a completely black perspective, right? So uh, I think that we can kind of bring to the table something different. And uh, I'm really excited for our guest today, who is um, my pastor. And it's an honor that uh, he allowed, you know, he allowed us to interview him in this space. So uh, Scott, I kind of before we get into everything, like tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Well, as Dave said, I'm his pastor, but more importantly, I'm his friend. Um, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, I think this is a really important conversation, and I think the having uh, the reconciliation piece is so important. A lot of times, there's conversation about race, but not much conversation about reconciliation. And so, having white, black, Puerto Rican in a conversation together, I think, is really important. And I commend you guys. Uh, for stepping into that space, because oftentimes, I mean, it's uncomfortable. Um, uh, a little bit about me. Uh, let's see. I'm married to Jesse. We've been married for 15 years. Um, on our second date, um, Jesse said, hey, uh, I need to talk to you about something important. I'm like, it's our second date. <laughs> uh, and she said, I just want you to know, that I believe the Lord has called me to uh, the ministry of adoption to grow my family through the ministry of adoption. And if you're not interested in that, I get it. That's fine. But there's no reason for us to go on a third date. And uh, I was like, all right, all right. Uh, Needless to say, 15 years later, uh, I was down uh, with adoption and uh, we God has blessed us with two children. Um, We received both at the hospital um, and, uh, both are minorities. And so for me, the journey of adoption and specifically, uh, with children who are minorities has just been a much, a huge learning process. 
Um, I'm just trying to learn and understand and read from different perspectives. So as an example, as Dave said, I'm a pastor. Um, and I remember looking around my office one day and I remember looking at most of my books and thinking, that's a white guy. That's a white guy. That's a dead white guy. That's a white guy. Um, and so I wanted, I was struck by the fact that I wanted different perspectives speaking into the same text. I mean, the scripture is the scripture, right? But having a, a perspective that's not entirely, um, it's, it's something different. And so uh, the Lord has been gracious in providing me with dear friends who are godly, um, Christ-exalting brothers in Christ, but also offer a different perspective. And so grateful for that. I am also uh, a huge sports fan. Uh, I am also a huge sports fan. Any, anything that's got a ball, um, I'm watching. Uh, I have been so desperate for live sports that I watched NBA players play against each other in NBA 2K. <laughs> uh, and convinced myself that it was, it was real ball. Uh, so anyway, uh, but I appreciate you guys having me on. And I apologize. That was probably a long intro. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, I think to kind of just, first of all, thank you again, you know, for telling a little bit about yourself and talking about the ministry of adoption, um, and how important that is. Um, so kind of just want to, uh, I'm going to direct this question to both of you guys, uh, first to Scott, like as a father of two black and brown children, um, how do you navigate this conversation with your kids? Well, and hopefully in ways that are age appropriate. Right. Um, and so Isaac, my son is, is 18 months. Um, and so he's not picking up on much of anything at this point. Sure. Um, but I remember when Josie was, uh, Josie's our eight year old, uh, and my daughter, I remember when she started first noticing, Hey, my skin is Brown and your skin is white. Um, and we just, we frequently will talk about, even now, I mean, just before I got on here with you guys, she was sitting in here in my lap and we were just talking about stuff. And one of the things that we talk about a lot is God created only one Josie McDowell in the history of the world. And God did not give you brown skin for any reason other than to glorify himself. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's created you exactly as you are. Um, and he loves you. And the way that the scriptures talk about his creation of you, it's not a distant thing. Like he, he molded you. He created you exactly the way that you are. And I love exactly the way you are. Um, and we also talk about how, and this is, maybe this is more an adoption related thing, but you know, she's pointing out differences. I'm also pointing out similarities. So I'm saying, okay, yes, you're the only one presently when she was little in our family that has brown skin, but you and mama have brown eyes and daddy has blue eyes. You're super tall like daddy. Mama's really short. Um, and so pointing out similarities too, that aren't strictly associated with the color of their skin. Um, so a lot of it is age appropriate. Sure. And she's asking questions. We're answering them in so far as we can. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, 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 with stories, books, things like that as well. The current news, I think, is a little intense for an eight year old, but I, again, I don't know. It's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to navigate, that's for sure. For sure. I, 
I definitely, you know, think that age appropriateness is is important. Um, you know, with with having an eighteen month year old and, and an eighteen month old and an eight year old. Uh, so to kind of shift this, I, I want to ask Devon, like, you know, obviously you just got married a year ago, um, but like I know that you've already we've had this conversation when I started having kids three years, <laughs> four years ago um, about this. So like I want to know. I'm curious about what your thoughts are on how. When you become a parent one day, like what what kind of things are you going to begin uh, to teach your your children that are going to be that are going to be black? <laughs> Man, you got no other option. Yeah, I, I can specifically remember when I had the talk, and when I say the talk for black people, we all know that there's two talks that we get. There's the birds and the bees talk that's later on in life, but the first one you get is that you're different. And uh, I was, I believe I was six years old. And uh, I remember my parents talking to me about, like, how to respond with police officers at six. Mm. And uh, thinking that, you know, that there's going to be them them telling me that there's going to be people who aren't going to like you because of the skin that you're in. And I'm thinking, you know, mom, dad, like, that's old. Like I've seen like movies. That's, that's, that's in the past. It doesn't happen anymore. And I mean, and they keep, uh, and they, and they would tell me like, no, no, this stuff is really, it's still happening. And I was just young and naive. Um, and so I just kind of lived life like, like, you know, nothing happened, but still noticing that I was different than some of my classmates. But, um, then a couple of years later, um, I remember, walking in the neighborhood we we had just moved to a new neighborhood and uh someone had yelled out they had called me n-word okay and uh with the hard r so this is not the friendly type that you hear sometimes with, with between other black people this is i mean this this is meant to tear me down mm. um and i remember i was eight at the time and i remember i was in tears i went i went home and i was crying and uh my parents were outraged i mean i remember them looking for this person that did this it was just a car that kind of just drove by and just said something to me and just kept going and uh my parents were outraged but i was crying so much and the words that my mom told me i'll i'll take with me forever she said she she was almost like frustrated with me and I mean, she, I, I love my mom. And this was this was the most loving thing she could do at the time. But she said, I told you this was going to happen, didn't I? Why are you surprised? This was going to happen. And like realizing like, man, this is my life. I can't get rid of my skin. I can't trade this in. Like this is going to happen forever. And it did. And so when you ask that question, like how am I going to navigate that with my kids? Like uh, when I got married, uh, before we got when we were dating we were taught we would have these conversations about race and uh, i guess like for my wife it didn't really set in until we got um one day we got pulled over um she was driving a taillight was out but uh i did everything i i've been taught growing up my hands were on the dashboard i was looking straight um like I, i didn't move and she saw me like she she saw me like tense up and she, st- she started to get nervous um, when the officer came. 
And I, I had to calm her down. Like, it's going to be okay. It's all right. Like, it's fine. But then afterwards, she, she just started crying. She said, I didn't realize what it, what was it, like, what it was like to live in your, sh- the, to walk in your shoes. And I guess, like, when they have kids, um, you, you have to think that, man, this is, a, this is, this is going to be, I have to give my, I hope that by the time I have kids, I won't have to have this conversation. But it's almost inevitable that I'm going to have to have the same conversation and tell my kid, probably around when they're five or six years old, how to how to hand how to deal with white people and how to deal with police officers. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've talked about that story before with uh, you and Adolin. You told me another story about when you were in college um, that something happened as well. Can you expound upon that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, for the people who are listeners of this show, you, you often listen, you know, I played basketball at Eastern Kentucky University. Uh, there was an incident one time, uh, there was a, there was a man, uh, another college athlete that was hitting a woman and I couldn't get up to stop what was going on, but it was an altercation that was happening. And, but I did see a cop car that was down the street. And so I ran to the cop, the, both of the cops that were there. I said, officer, officer, we need help, we need help, we need help. And the officer, the officer reaches for his gun and says, if you take one more effing step, I'll blow your effing head off. And I just put my hands up. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I said, please don't shoot. And he said, he said, all right. I said, I just want to let you know that there's someone in apartment six that is, that is getting hit right now. He said, that's fine. You just need to walk away. And so I just walked back slowly, but I remember just feeling like so demoralized because I'm trying to, like, I need help. Like these people need help. I'm doing what everyone wants me to do. But this, like that, that incident could have easily been, I could have been a hashtag easily. For sure. And I mean, mm. at the same time, my face was on a billboard like in, in, in Richmond. Like, so, I mean, it's, it, it doesn't matter. Like what I what I do, like what I like, you know what what I do, like as in like profession or what am I, what am I doing for in athletics? How great I am a student? What what it, it doesn't matter. There's always going to be people who think the worst of of me, of people that look like me. I think uh, I was just watching this. Thank you for sharing that story too. Um, I was just watching this video by a guy named Belief. Um, I, he used to be a rapper. I don't, I don't know if he still makes albums anymore or not, but um, he has a YouTube channel, and uh, he was talking to a six- and seven-year-old about um, kind of everything going on, and uh, his, his wife uh, did it as well with him. And uh, she made a statement that Devon just kind of just said, but this is to her six-year-old, and she said uh, she had asked him a bunch of things about himself, she had allowed him to uncover, hey, I'm, I'm a smart guy. I love to read. I love to learn and uh, play video games and uh, play with my brother and all this stuff. And she said, but you are all those things, but you are also black. And so because of that, there are going to be people that don't care about any of those other things. And they may never see any of those other things, but they're going to feel they're going to feel some type of way about you. They're going to. They're going to feel threatened by you because of the color of your skin, no matter what you are or what you do. And so um, that those words haunted me. Um, 
after watching mm-hmm. that video. And um, it's something that, you know, being somebody that, that does have light skin and to the average, I'm, I'm just a, a big white guy. Um, I, I've never had to think about, I've never had to um, process through that stuff just, you know, simply based on the color of my skin. Yeah, being a big guy, um, you know, I, the, the most harmful thing I get asked about a million times a week is if I played football. Right. <laughs> you, look like a, you look like a football player. Did you play anywhere? Did you play in college? You play in the pros? Um, it's, it's never somebody that feels immediately threatened because I've this, um, I just, I don't get, I don't get that um, kind of threat. So those words just haunted me and it, and it kind of leads me to my next statement. And I have another question is, is I think to first anybody that's listening to this and again has um, heard us in the past, like, understand that we're not here to tear down police officers. Um, We're not here saying that all police officers are bad. Um, We're here acknowledging that there is a a problem, right? I think from a biblical perspective, we can point to the fact that it's a very deep-rooted, sinful issue of racism. I think in the point of America, I think that racism has been the stain issue on our entire country right and and to just give a little bit of context in the sense that the united states has only ever had one group of people enslaved and that's black people right so um one thing i hear when we're talking about races is like oh what do the latinos think oh what do the asians think and yes Asians and Latinos, they face their own set of racism in this country. But there is a deeply rooted, a deeply ingrained racism between white and black people that stems from the fact that black people were once owned by white people. And there is an immediate threat, right, that white people feel whenever black people become too powerful or have too large of a voice. I, if you, if you heard that and you felt attacked by that, like, I pro- like, I'm not trying to call all white people out because not everybody feels this way. However, it's a real issue. Okay. And so when we, when we think about protesting, when we think about things like that, like it, in general, white people do not like it when people of color challenge anything of that has white power. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we see this in all types of views, but the second protests involve white lives, right? I think Scott, you alluded to this until somebody, uh, when we were just talking a little bit ago was like, until it affects your home, right? That's when there's no issue. Right. So like in, in the state of Kentucky, there were people at the governor's mansion. On, at the Capitol that were fully armed, spitting in the face of police officers two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Happened in Michigan, happened all over the country, right? There were, um, uh, in Kentucky, they, they hung a, um, I guess, a, a mannequin or, or something of the like that was supposed to represent the governor. They hung him in a tree. And thought that that was okay. Right? And it is just 
it's mind boggling to think that there's a, a gap, that there's a uh, difference in the two. Right. Um, you know, I'm here to say that I'm not for people rioting and looting businesses. I'm not for that, but we have, we have an issue. And I think that Devon, I want to pose this question to you regarding protesting. Like when we look at the historical context of protesting, is there any biblical context for that? Uh, you need to ask the pastor that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I, He's next. No worries. <laughs> I would say there's a for there's a biblical context for uh, civil disobedience. Um, you look mm. at uh, in Exodus, where uh, you know just the whole story of Moses. Moses wouldn't be Moses wouldn't have the chance to be a man if if, if there wasn't women who disobeyed the, the Pharaoh's orders. Um. You look at uh, the book of Daniel, where there's people who, uh, where there was, you know, there's certain foods that he had to eat and, had, and he had to worship to certain idols and he, he refused to, he refused to do that. Um, and then, of course, uh, pretty much Paul's ministry, he was, he was called to, to protest against against this the the way the christianity was was illegal at the time and so he still preached he still preached the gospel and he ended up in in jail for most of his letters that he wrote um yeah so that's i mean those are the ones that come off the top of my head Uh, scott if you have any others yeah i mean so it's interesting that you talk about like civil disobedience like i hadn't thought about it that way but that you're right scriptures are full of that over and over and over again um, they get like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Like they're not going to bow down. Um, and a lot of times in the New Testament, you see there's a difference between protest and like they have, they, there's descriptions of rioting and protesting, and there, there's a distinction between them, right? So in Ephesus, they're rioting because of Paul. Um, and yet Paul is often a protester. He's protesting um, against the way the Jews were treating the Gentiles. Um, so it's not protesting in the same sense of like an organized gathering of people, but it is a protest against the way some one group is treating another. Um, so, yeah. That's a interesting point. Um, and I think that, you know, you look back into like the civil rights and uh, you think about the fact that, we did have examples of both civil disobedience and of like the rioting and, and protesting um, in, in, a, in a little bit more aggressive way, right? Like, so you have MLK on one hand and Malcolm X on the other hand, right? And it's, it's kind of wild to think that Martin Luther King was shot in the face for peacefully protesting. Mm. I mean, I, I think that kind of goes like to where we are now. Um, is that people are like I read on social media people are saying we we tried we tried to do it the peaceful way we tried to do it this way and that's where the riots happen people like I'm I'm tired of waiting I'm tired of being peaceful you know can you can you expound on that uh Devon yeah yeah I, I, I would I would love to give that perspective yeah so I mean Martin Luther King was strictly nonviolent protester everything that he did he did not want violence at uh from hit on from his party at his side of things coming out and uh 
So, but they did that, and Martin Luther King, he still got shot. And then uh, years and years and years later, we still say, well, just remember Dr. King, remember Dr. King, remember Dr. King. But uh, you see the outrage happen when, like, I mean, the most recent ones were, were like, were Ferguson. Is where we saw this outrage happen. People started to fight back. And I mean, we saw the LA riots in the 90s. And then now we see the riots happening now all over the country where people are tired. They're, I mean, there's only so much, if you if you, you, cannot, you can ask for change for so long and there's only so much time that people are going to wait before they just, they feel like they're not being heard. And the only way that they can be heard is if they start tearing some stuff up. Now, again, I disagree with, 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 looting and rioting but i under i understand it 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 makes sense if you haven't been hurt for so long and there's there's someone that's hurting you or there's something that's hurting you and you there needs to be change and nothing happens so people just they they fight back eventually yeah i saw this um i saw this kind of description that was like which knee offended you worse and it was talking about the knee on the back of George Floyd's neck or Colin Kaepernick's knee. And um, it made me think, and I, I just remember how many uh, debates that, that Devon and I got into with people <laughs> uh, when Colin Kaepernick took a knee on the field. Like what, what else do you want him to do? He asked for a respectful way to protest. If, if Colin Kaepernick, let, let's just say, let, let's just say he would have done something different. Let's say Colin Kaepernick goes to uh, the local courthouse um, in San Francisco at the time and talks to legislators about what's going on in, in the black community with, with police brutality, right? Like, let's say he does that. And I think he did this at, in points, but like, let's say that's the only thing he did. How many people are raised awareness of that? Honestly. But Dave, I think it goes to your point earlier. There, there is no appropriate time to fight for freedom. That, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's what yeah, I'm trying yeah. to get so at. So, like, whatever platform that he has, that that is the platform that he, that he has now. The the NFL can do, and his team can do whatever they they see fit after that happens. But I mean, if you feel in the moment that you need to speak out for injustice, I mean, it there is. Like justice delayed is justice de- denied is what Dr. King says. And so like if, if you if you delay speaking out for for injustices, though, then you're, ju- you're just denying you, you're on the side of the oppressor. Mm. Yeah. And silence is is what kills people. Right. Silence is compliance. I mean, we, we we see it now. We see we see more people speaking out of the, uh, about these things now. But the problem is, just it's so much ingrained to the DNA of this country. Um, so I just, I mean, like a lot of the conversation that we get into now is, I mean, I, when if when this stuff first started, I remember like probably the first thing in my life that really struck me was Trayvon Martin. And then it was the Mike Brown thing. And then so on and so on. We can say names and names forever. But when the, when people ask the question, what can we do to help? What, what Scott, like, what, what, what can you, what do you say for that? Hey, can I, can I ask that question in one other way? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Scott, you are the pastor of a predominantly white church. Yeah. 
when white people and specifically white people in our church, specifically white people in your sphere ask, what can they do to help? That's the question. Um, I mean, it's a good question. It's one, honestly, that I wrestle with myself. Uh, I mean, I was getting ready to ask you guys. So <laughs> what is our hopeful first steps? Um, I think, like what I was talking about earlier, issues become issues for you when they affect your home, um, when they affect those closest to you. And so um, I think sincerely developing friendships and not just like, hey, Deborah, you're black, I'm white. Will you be my friend now? But like genuine friendships rooted in common interests and things like that, where you can then have spaces to ask and receive uh, questions that you don't have to qualify everything. You can say, this may be ignorant, but I don't understand this. Um, there's only there, there's two ways that and no, no analogy is going to be perfect. Right. But there's two ways that I, I, I think about these things. One is in my best friend growing up. Uh, through college was from Jordan and we graduated in 2001 and I remember right after September 11th the way that my friend was treated because of the color of his skin because he looked like the people on the, the on the news um, and it affected me deeply in a way that I don't know that it would have affected me if he was not my best friend and I would be, I have, I, because he was my friend, I could ask him questions like, how do you feel about what's being done or said? Because he grew up here. Um, and the other arena where I, I, I um, can somewhat relate, I don't know if that's the right word. See, even that, I'm like, Deborah, maybe a stupid thing for me to say it this way. Um, but is in the arena of adoption, people say and do stupid things associated with adoption so could you not have any kids of your own well my kids are my own <laughs> like yeah. yeah yeah we did <laughs> we have kids of our own um you know th people say and do really ignorant things but I i'm trying to use them as an opportunity to educate um even though the fatherly side of me is really angry at the way someone says something or does something um, so all that to say, I, th I think one way that you can help is to have genuine loving relationships with people that don't look just like you, um, such that you can ask questions and have conversations where you can be ignorant and be educated. Um, and those are those are not always easy relationships to develop. Um, but I think that that's a significant first step. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I'm wrestling with some of this myself. Yeah. A gen genuine conversations definitely does help. Uh, and I mean, on both sides, like for, you have to be, you can't be afraid to be accidentally offensive. Right. So, like, there, I mean, there's a difference between being intentionally offensive and then accidentally offensive. And so, we, I mean, we can't walk on eggshells when talking about to these things about with each other. I mean, but we have to we have to be able to just I, I mean, to just come to people boldly and just talk, just have a conversation with people. And that's just not happening right now. Yeah. Um, 
I did I did have a conversation with one of my teammates and he called me early in the morning yesterday and he said, Man, I just he's like I know I'm not supposed to say this because I'm a Christian, but I feel like I have no hope. Mm-hmm. And so like I mean I, I was kinda curious about to ask you this question, Scott, as a as a pastor, um if you if you if you had a a black a black person in your congregation what do you tell that person in this situation when they feel like they have no hope? Well, first of all, you, you weep with those who weep, man. Um, you, you, you get it. You understand. Um, but then I would say, listen, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. If your hope is built on the country in which you live, the people who are in power or in authority – then that hope can be stripped from you. But if your hope is rooted and grounded in Christ, that hope can never be taken from you because your hope is eternal. It's not temporal. Um, and understand that much of the New Testament is fighting this issue of, it was different, the reasons were different, but this issue of segregation between Jew and Gentile. And so you have brothers and sisters in Christ who historically would yes and amen that feeling of hopelessness, and yet they did not allow that hopelessness to prevent them from action. Um, So root and ground your identity and your hope in Christ um, and refuse to give in to hopelessness. Think of of how can you be involved. If you are... um, are you looking for friendships with those who are different from you, not just racially? I mean, we focus on the black and white, but a lot of us, man, you look across our friend circles, it's socioeconomically. We don't have friendships across, you know, up or down. We don't have relationships with anybody that looks different from us. We just, it's pretty monolithic, which is weird, right? Because we live in a culture that's incredibly diverse. But Anyway, I, I would encourage someone who feels hopeless, first of all, I, to understand that it's okay to feel that way, but then point them to Christ and point them to the fact that historically there are many who would understand that same feeling and show them how they responded. I think the this conversation today is, I mean, as short as it, it has been, just like for me, I, I sat up, I watched those riots for a while, and I just had to turn off the TV. And I had to start praying and reading what God had to say about these things. And I I know that, like, to know that there's someone in Indianapolis that's white, that's at least advocating on behalf of these people, of black people there, um, it gives me a lot of, a lot of, like, comfort for that, um, I mean, I, I'll just be, I'll just be real with you all and the listeners. I haven't gotten a lot of sleep lately. I've been, I'm, I mean, this stuff is, is stressing me out and not, not, not that I have, that I've lost hope. It's just that, I mean, it's just, it's hard to see that, mm-hmm. to see those things. I, I, I haven't watched the video. I'm not going to watch the video, um, but of, of those, of those people dying, but. It's just so hard sometimes, man. It's just, uh, but it means a lot it's, to hear. It to it's hear important, man, that you that you have those spaces. I mean, I was in a conversation with some pastors the other day and was able to just be like, look, between COVID, um, 
a, a pastor that many of us knew and were influenced and encouraged by recently took his own life. The issues of race in our country, like it just, it was building. And I was like, man, I just feel, I just feel overwhelmed by all that. And it was good to have brothers that could, could look at my, my face and be like, I get it. I'm with you, man. Yeah. Um, it's been a heavy season. It is. It is a heavy season. Um, but that's again, why it's so important that we were reminded that, Christ purchased a family, man. He didn't purchase like a, a club for us to participate in. He purchased mm. a family. Um, and when we quit playing church and start actually loving one another uh, and being honest with how we're doing and what's going on and struggles that we have, and I feel hopeless or I feel like I'm just drowning in all of this stuff, like we can receive help from the brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we just you know, goof around and talk about inconsequential, stupid stuff. It's just going to remain superficial, man. That's cultural Christianity at its finest. Mm. It won't affect real change. Yeah, you're spot on. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think that endeavor, and I, I want to get your um, opinion on that question as well. Kind of the, the top question. But um, I think one thing too, that I was just thinking of is, um, that I would really encourage my black brothers and sisters um, to, to allow some, some white people into your space. Um, I think we're at a point where I'll be honest, I'm seeing some tides turn with different people that three years ago were um, throwing shade my way, <laughs> were combative on different perspectives that I had. Um, I'm now seeing them after them finally seeing the, 500 and 600 videos of this stuff you're like oh my gosh maybe we do have a problem mm -hmm. and so let, let me just encourage my black brothers and sisters especially those that are believers to allow some white people into your space and just like Devon said allow them to be a little bit innocently offensive um and, and just help them learn and see and, and grow in this perspective right um you know, if you were to ask Sheena today about um, her her thought processes on, on reconciliation and things like that, they are so much more advanced than they were six years ago, five years ago, when we first met Devrin and, and some other of our friends that were very gracious in allowing her to ask questions and understand and grow and um, be in the thick of it with them and hurt with them and understand that, like, a life is a life. And the problem is, and, and we're all so quick to say as believers that all lives matter and, and, and all lives do matter. The problem is, is that in our society, in America, black lives don't matter as much as white lives. That's the problem, right? That is why there's a hashtag. That is why there's a group. That is why there are protests because black lives don't matter as much as white lives right now. And without having advancement, they never will. If we continue to live in a society where we keep black people at bay, where we just simply keep them, you know, under oppression, like that's, that's why we're having protests. That's why there's rioting. That's why there's fear. And this is the fact that, you know, you have two people that, you know, one murdered 
people in a church in Charlotte. One murdered people, you know, uh, in a grocery store. They got walked away with police vests on very civilly. And then in the last five years, we've had white, black people get killed over selling CDs outside of a gas station, potentially forging a check, um, being in their home playing video games, uh, looking out the window of their homes while police were outside. Um, We've had uh, walking down the street after, you know, purchasing some candy and a drink. That's the problem, right? Is that this, yes, we arrest people that commit crimes, but when black lives are shattered and ruined and, and murdered at any point in time, there's, a, there's just this feeling of pent up aggression and, and fear. And I, I felt it myself, just in somebody that's being compassionate and um, understanding and, and that has a black best friend and black cousins, um, uh, dark skinned cousins that are, that are Latino. And it's just like, this is why like that it's, I hope people understand and see that. And so a lot of white people don't understand the history, right? They don't understand that. Like this has been going on. It's not a one week thing that happened. It's not something that happened in the last 10 years. We're just starting to see it recorded, right? We're just starting to see it on, on video. And so um, I just urge my black brothers and sisters to allow white people into your spaces and white people go into the spaces, like go be vulnerable, go seek out people. Dave, let me ask you, how, how would you encourage white people to do that? Devon, how would you encourage? I mean, because you don't want somebody to be like, Hey man, you're black. I'm white. Um, can I, can I come into your space? But actually like, sometimes it's like that. Like I do have, okay. one, I have one white friend that is, but the, he, he, he did. They said, hey, look, I don't have any black friends. I, I, I just want to get to know you. And I mean, mm. and it's, it's years later, it's been, a, it's been a great friendship. Um, That's good, man. I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's I mean, it's, it, it was awkward. Sometimes there's things it has to, you have to be awkward and sometimes, yeah. you, I mean, you have to be uncomfortable. I think that's what uh, God is calling us to do right now is we have to be uncomfortable in a lot of different ways, especially when it, when it uh, in regards to race. Um, so what I would say is, I mean, naturally, if you have the same, if you have someone who's interested in the same things that you're interested in, um, that's a that's a natural way to be to be friends. But sometimes it does take going out of your way and just being intentional with this person. Like, hey, I, I don't have a friend. Uh, that I don't have a black friend. Um, and I, I just wanted to get to know a little bit more about you. Not trying to tokenize this person, but just saying, I just want to get to know more about your your life and your experiences. Because black people aren't a monolith. We all come from different backgrounds. But mm-hmm. if you just get to know just one person, maybe that can start in you know a network of a whole bunch of different people. I agree. And, and the other thing I would urge my my white friends, my white brothers and sisters, is because you have one black friend, don't stop there. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't be OK with having that one, one that one black influence in your life. Like and, and this is, goes for any other people group, just like you were talking about earlier, Scott, that looks different from you. Like, don't stop with having that one person. Right. Because one thing I hear is all the time is I'm not racist. I have a black friend 
<laughs> comma, but, and you know whatever they're about to say after that but is most likely going to be overtly <laughs> or covertly racist, right? Yeah. Like, we uncover that all the time. And it's unacceptable. Like, it is purely unacceptable. My one black friend doesn't think that this is, a, is wrong, right? I remember seeing that all the time with, with Kaepernick specifically um, and uh, with other things. I remember people saying, well, uh, I have a black friend and he's never been profiled. Well, that's good for that one black friend. But, I mean, that's uh, amazing. Like, praise God. But there's but millions like, of other people that probably that have similar experiences. Exactly. And so, like, that's what I would urge you is, like, don't get – it's the same thing with – we talk about it all the time. Like, don't get your news from one source. Don't get your – you know, <laughs> you can't take one I, – I think we even think about it in the in terms of the church, right? Is that I have a lot of people that I've I've been around that will be like, well, my pastor doesn't think that's correct. I'm like, well, I don't care what your pastor says in the Bible, right? Like, like, <laughs> like maybe you should read more for yourself, right? Um, and so anyway, just thinking through and learning and processing through what that looks like. And um, I think that this is a real conversation. It's a real thing that needs to be had, right? Um, and so I think, Devon, I'd, I'd be curious if you had any other things that you wanted to add to that, um, like specifically in terms of um, – what what white people can do to help yeah i mean just sort of what we're doing now i mean talking i mean i'm like i don't know scott i don't know anything about you scott but having this real honest conversation like this like that's cool like mm-hmm. we, you get to hear a little bit about my experiences i get to hear a little bit about your experiences and some things I mean, I'm sure there's some things in life that we're just not going to agree on, but there's some things that that we have to agree on in Christ, mm-hmm. and um, just having just having those real conversations with people that just don't look like you. And I think that's kind of the whole purpose of the podcast is that we're, we're coming to to the table with people who just have who come from different backgrounds and and just talking to them. I think like what we're doing right now is a really good thing. I agree. Me too, Scott. It has been uh, awesome to have you have you on the podcast today. I, I I really appreciate getting to hear your heart and getting to, getting to know you a little bit more. I think that uh, like your I think your church is in for something special uh, with you leading it and the people around you if they're learning from you. Um, in in steps of reconciliation, um, you, you're gonna have you're gonna have a, a church that's willing to take a step forward. Not only towards that, but to towards like this is what I want people to understand: concepts of justice. Justice is a, is 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 an attribute of God. God is just, mm. and so we're taking steps towards holiness. And so, what you're doing, what you're doing there is, is helping your congregation take another step towards holiness in that sanctification process by being more just. So I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, appreciate the invitation to participate in the conversation, man. I hope. I don't know. I don't feel like I have much to contribute, but grateful to be part of the conversation for sure. I always love a humble heart. <laughs> Absolutely. And it is much appreciated. And obviously I'm grateful for you uh, being on this podcast. I'm uh, even more grateful to be um, your friend and for you to be my pastor. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the efforts that we can put together um, in the conversations that we can have with the people in our circles, uh, whether it's our small group or 
and or whatnot. Um, I think we've actually, it's kind of weird. We've already had a few of those conversations just naturally come up and um, mm-hmm. I've been very grateful that you've led them. I've been very grateful for that. Uh, and, I, and I say that because Devon and I have been in spaces where those conversations were not led by pastors and honestly not participated in by pastors. And that is, that is honestly probably one of the most disheartening and frustrating things. And so uh, I'm grateful for you in that, in that way and, and in many other ways. And so um, to kind of just, uh, I just want to say one last thing and uh, we'll, we'll be done, but I just, I would encourage every single person listening to this podcast to look within yourself to understand where you have blind spots, to know that if you, if you are a black person, you're not alone. There are people that don't look like you that are hurting with you. Um, to, to my white brothers and sisters, like, don't just be somebody that shares something on Facebook. Don't just be somebody that has one, one friend that doesn't look like you. The real way to make a difference starts, one, within your home, right? It's educating your children. Hey, look, we don't, what we don't do is we don't judge other people based on their skin for any reason. That's the first thing we do, right? It starts with how we educate our children. It starts with how we educate our family. Uh, secondly, it's in our, in our friend circles and our spheres of how we um, talk and how we introduce people and how we uh, go out and, and, and find friends and find people to talk to. Uh, because again, as as Devon said, social justice is is currently being led by mostly a, a secular segment of society. As believers, we should be on the forefront of social justice because the gospel calls us to that, right? And so we have steps that we can take. There are actionable items that we can take, and and it doesn't look like us going and pounding on the front door of the Capitol building. It starts with the simplest stuff like having conversations and goes all the way up to standing on the front lines and, and going arm in arm with our, with our black brothers and sisters. So um, that's what I want to leave you with today if you're listening to this podcast. Thank you. We appreciate you, Scott. Thank you, Devon. Thank you for uh, leading uh, in your church and your community and, and your job. And uh, I'm grateful to be in the same circle as you guys and, and to add more and more people to that space. Yeah, and Scott, next time we have you on the podcast, hopefully it's not as heavy as a topic, but and then we're going to talk about sports. That's right. We'll make, we'll make fun of LeBron and get Dave all riled up. There we go. That's what, I'm, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> I, just, I just deliver a super serious monologue, and y'all got to come back with some LeBron hate. That's it. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys. And yeah, NBA July 31st, right? Yeah, man. That's what they I say. Can't wait. Let's get it. All right, cool. Well, until next time. Peace. Peace. Peace.